Hello and welcome to another episode of Take This Job and Love It, the podcast that looks at and addresses the various aspects of the job search, and we are here to help you walk you through them. My name is Brian Fournette. I serve as Senior Associate Director in the Office of Career Strategy here at Yale, and I'm joined today by my colleagues. Stephanie Wing from the Common Good and Creative Careers team at Yale's Office of Career Strategy. My name is Julia Burke. I'm also a Senior Associate Director in the Office of Career Strategy. And I'm Meredith Mira, and I am an advisor primarily with the STEM Connect team and with our undergraduate population. All right. So we are back together once again to readdress and delve into a couple different aspects of a, of a large hulking topic, and that is uh, thinking about the ways by which we conduct a job search. So in uh, past episodes, uh, either directly addressing this topic or tangentially addressing this topic, we've talked about the ways by which we advise folks to um, contemplate and consider uh, embarking upon this, this hefty task. And so um, in, in giving it the respect it deserves, I thought it'd be a, a good opportunity for us to go back to it today and think about the ways by which we can uh, construct uh, a, a, a wholesome and collective uh, process by which we can ensure that we're doing things the right way, but then also understanding how we can modify our search as we move, because very often, uh, regardless of where you are in your career, you're likely to um, either hit some stumbling blocks or learn some new things along the way. And it might require one to really have to think and strategize about taking these sort of uh, these turns in their career path. So this could be someone who's you know, 10 years into a job and suddenly wants to change things up, or someone who um, went through their entire academic experience with one thought in mind and then woke up one day and had a completely different concept. So for those individuals, we don't want them to feel uh, like a deer in headlights. So uh, I thought today you know, we could begin and talk about the process itself and how we collectively view that process. So does anyone have a, you know, bits of wisdom in terms of how they try to approach that when they're working with students. Well, so I think, you know, this ends up being the uh, second favorite topic for most folks, you know, <laughs> only second to networking, of course, oh, right? Yes. Um, but I think that, you know, even uh, this idea of kind of like pivoting, regardless of where you are, you're a newly minted, um, you know, graduate of an undergraduate program or uh, you're, you know, in your 60s and you're looking for an encore career. I think that there are some key elements that um, more than likely need to be present in the job search process. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I always start out with is just the organizational piece to it. So when I'm working with a student who might be pivoting, it's getting organized beyond your inbox. Mm -hmm. So not keeping everything in one folder, but having space where you're keeping track of employers you're targeting and what you are learning about them, a space for, as you said, Stephanie, the networking contacts that you're interested in talking to or already have talked to, and then some space for actual job applications. So the organizational piece when you're thinking about maybe pivoting or at least just starting whatever process in terms of the job search, wherever you're at, just starting by getting organized, right. I think, is where I start. So I think that <clears throat> when we think about um, starting this process, um, sometimes people just dive in and they – well, first of all, I think what I hear from a lot of people is they come in and I say like, well, tell me about your process. And their process started with Google 
Yes. <laughs> and I don't mean they were applying for jobs at Google, um, but rather Googling, a <clears throat> uh, little bit under the weather today, sorry all, um, but Googling for jobs and then seeing if they have jobs at available or internships or so forth. Um, I think that that can be one way in. If that's the way in, I often advise, like, let's start getting some applications out there so that you can start talking to people. Mm -hmm. And through the process of talking to people, you might actually start to figure out, yes, this is the right way, or, oh my gosh, let me back out and pivot and move in another direction. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's one way. Um, the other way, which I think um, my colleague Brian here uh, kindly introduced me to this sort of um, philosophical versus practical search was actually starting with the philosophical questions around, you know, who am I? What do I care about? Um, and so I think that those can be two different things. There's an organizational piece of when you're actually applying, um, and there's the who in the world am I and where do I want to go with, you know, my values, interests, and skills. Right, right. Organizing your thoughts around who you are as an applicant. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, I think a lot of that depends on who the person is and where the planets align for that individual. I think, uh, like the first method that Meredith mentioned, where you just do the Google search, can work quite a bit and be very effective if you have a bit of confidence in knowing what you want to do. Without that, it's the ascent, it's the equivalent of you know trying to diagnose yourself via Google. <laughs> you know, and it usually doesn't work out so hot. It usually means like imminent death. And so yeah. uh, we don't want that. And, and that's not very reassuring if you're trying to address like your cold or whatever it may be. Yeah, and yeah. so we want to try to avoid falling into those traps. And well, that's, that's where that, that philosophical and practical piece comes, comes about. And I think just the, the um, daunting task of you know, searching for a new job um, or for your first job, uh, that can feel really overwhelming. So then when your first step is jump on Google and just start looking for things. Right. This is one of the most overwhelming sites there is. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I do think that there, um, there are ways in which you can make that, that um, gut reaction or that visceral reaction you have toward um, you know, jumping online and start looking for things. Let that work for you and let that, let, you know, let's use that process in a particular kind of way, but channeling it into something that's a little bit more organized to Julia's point, right? right. Like something that feels a little bit more um, focused. Um, but I think that requires very much so uh, putting on that lens yeah. and that lens of what am I looking for in relation to me as an individual? Right. So what's that job landscape look like? But then wh who do I look like in that? What do I look like in that job landscape? What makes sense for me? Right. See, that's the methodology. I think if you if you're under the, the false pretense or just the hopeful assumption that that the Google search you're getting a lot of plugs today, but the Google search <laughs> yeah, really. will... This episode is not sponsored by yeah. Google. <laughs> yeah. If you think that that will somehow resolve something, you're using a ghost methodology to help solve problems that haven't been addressed. And you need to be, again, more organized and, and, and seeing a process for what it is. And I think to add to some of that organizational piece that I mentioned earlier, some of the online Google search, if you... You can incorporate the philosophical into that by sure. noting your reaction mm. to various posts you find, by by actually writing down how you feel about certain organizations' mission statements. Mm -hmm. um, 
you can add space for that to kind of bring in the philosophical to a little bit of the practical. Yeah. And then after, let's say, a month or two of your deep dive Google exploration, <laughs> you could go back into your notes and, you know, you could even kind of take a very analytical approach. You could code, essentially, mm-hmm. what job applications you were really excited by and what were the responsibilities of those. So it can bring the philosophical and the practical together totally by staying agree. organized. Yeah. I yeah. think that's absolutely right. And I think your the way you describe that little extra bit of effort in actually writing something down helps solidify um, an actual thoughtful reaction to something. Because again, I think in my conversations with people, as they're searching for things through uh, you know, uh, some kind of vague search like that, or if they're using more um, specific resources, which again, you know, to put the plug in, if you go to ocs.yale.edu, these resources through our external resources uh, tab as it currently exists is open to all and allows for you to do a little bit more of a, of a, a pointed search. People sometimes, because this can be, um, this can create some anxiety this can create a sense, of, of, at least initially, of, of sort of false confidence. People look for that visceral reaction to something. They want to, like, fall in love <laughs> yeah. in a moment <laughs> with this new career or this new employer. Right. And realistically, I think on our worst day, coming out of our current situation, whatever it may be, you would look at that new thing and still probably come out with some skepticism because it's the devil you don't know. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I try to re- make recommendations that nobody looks for that. Nobody needs to try to find or to fall in love immediately. Right. It's it's a revisiting and a warming to something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think there are some things that you probably can read and say, wow, that sounds really boring. Sure. But there are going to yeah. be other things that are seem a little bit more exciting or you're going to have a mixture and um, of, of, of feelings and reactions. Mm-hmm. But. That's really where, you know, you can jot down some of these uh, reactions or ideas that you have, revisit them over and over again, see if, you know, you're, um, you're kind of thinking about your thoughts and calibrating them in, in a way that makes sense for you. And then the next step of actually talking to folks who do that kind right. of yeah. job. And I think it goes a little bit beyond the, wow, this is boring. You have to really delve into the why. Right. Like you can't just read a description, mm-hmm. write down some of your thoughts about it and be like, well, that sounds boring. But you have to <laughs> – Most talk, job descriptions the most yeah. boring too, right? right. Yeah. I mean you might find some with a few like really wild buzzwords. Some mm-hmm. of those sound a little crazy. Yeah. But you can define what actually makes it sound boring mm-hmm. and you can define what actually makes it sound exciting. Right. And I think that's the key. It's not just a surface level. That sounds fun. That sounds boring. That sounds exciting. That sounds tedious. It's It has to be the why. It has to go into that philosophical piece. There's also some context in terms of how the individual – context in terms of the individual who's reading a job description, right? If, you've, if you're a 10-year uh, veteran of some career path, I'm sure you can read into a, a particular job description and have a clearer sense – of what that actually means. Mm. Whereas I think with folks who have not been on the market before, right. they're looking for that like sugar rush of the words to jump off the page right. and give right. them this, again, mm-hmm. this really exciting sense. And I work with a lot of people who will be like, ah, that doesn't really sound interesting. And and I and I have to wonder like, well, what does? What's our threshold here? Right. And I think it's very contextual. So people may be looking for something that 
and I'm not trying to sound dour here, but may not exist. Right. They're like, sure. well, I, I want a job that uh, I'm never in the office. I uh, I work a very tight schedule, though. You know, like there's certain <laughs> criteria that just like clash. They they may clash, and I think by revisiting these things more regularly, we begin to learn what this truly might mean. Yeah. And I think it, it, this goes beyond obviously just. Um, you know, typing things into a job uh, to a to a web search, you want to try to talk to people and engage with individuals to get that translation. Because I'm sure my job description doesn't look all that exciting on paper. I think my job's great. I enjoy my job quite a bit. I could probably do a better job explaining it to somebody than if they just read my job description, which I'm sure is you know looks fairly dry. Right, and which sometimes they're are written by uh, third parties in a sense, right? Somebody who's sitting in a uh, human resources office, mm-hmm. identifying what the needs of the organization might be, but the day to day tasks look really different. So right. speaking to uh, folks about that kind of stuff, and I and I and I totally agree with you, Julia. Like, not just ha- that you have a reaction, but what are some of the key elements that are causing you to think in that kind of way that this sounds really exciting or interesting, or this doesn't sound as exciting and interesting, mm-hmm. um, and then recalibrating a search based on that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that I think that um, one of the things that both Brian, you, and and Stephanie have brought up is that when you're reading a job description and it and it's you know you're looking for this unicorn, if something doesn't sound ex- again, we keep using this word exciting and boring, but there are other <laughs> adjectives out there. <laughs> We're just stuck on these two. Um, you can then bring in some networking into your process by learning more about. The, the job from somebody who's in that office. Right. Exactly to your point, Brian, you could describe your job probably way better than what's written on the page. Mm-hmm. And so but for the job seeker, if you're reading these Googled job descriptions and some don't sound exciting, what is your next step to learn a little bit more about what that job entails right. truly? Yeah, you got to verify. I right. mean, it's scientific right. method, right? You just yeah. <laughs> got to verify. And so I think that's the, the part where you get to kind of like help see if it, it's true to form. Yeah. So I'm over here <clears throat> looking on my phone at the ocs.yield.edu website. <laughs> ah. um, I am on the career decision-making page and there is a values, interests, and skills worksheet. Um, we keep mentioning the philosophical and we're mentioning you can Google something, see how it feels, how do you talk to somebody, how does it connect? But if you're really thinking, I have no idea, in fact, who I am or what I care about, this is a good starting point. So there's lots of self-assessments out there. Um, We don't particularly adhere to one or the other in our office, but I do think that people find use in them. Um, So certainly uh, go forth and, you know, you can do a Google search for self-assessments. <laughs> um, some are free, <clears throat> some you have to pay, but we do have this handy-dandy downloadable worksheet mm-hmm. that asks you some questions around your values. Um, you know, not that these are easy questions to answer necessarily. This is why we advise you do it in conjunction with others. But, you know, what makes my life and work meaningful and purposeful? Where have I found inspiration in the past? Whose work do I admire? Um your interests, I mean, if you're taking classes right now, um, what are you most interested in engaging with? Um, if you're just, you know, reading uh, the news in the morning, what <clears throat> kind of topics do you um, gravitate towards? Uh, if if you ask your friends, what are the things that I'm really the best at? 
what do they say? Um, is there some sort of skill? And, and how did these things start to inform you of who you are and mm-hmm. what kinds of things you might connect to? Two other resources that I would make mention of, if you, especially if you have an edu, uh, .edu email address, uh, are imaginephd.com and myidp.sciencecareers.org. Um, they are designed for, for PhD students. However, um, I believe they touch on the values, interests, and skills aspects in a broad enough way that even you know any, anybody at any point in any age could probably get something from it. And it also provides, after you do the assessment components, supplemental resources that will help you do that deeper dive for that next step. Because I think doing an assessment is great uh, until someone's like, so now what? And then the <laughs> right, assessment right. usually doesn't have a lot of like, here's the next step. These two, uh, to some degree, provide that, and I find that to be a bit more of an enlightening way to connect. And so even if you're, you know, you're not a PhD, and, uh, but you have that email address, you can get these free accounts, I would recommend uh, giving those a try if you're in that position. It can be very helpful. And it can also just reiterate things you might already know about yourself. Sometimes it's good for that verification to say, yes, this is still my interest, or these interests have uh, numerous ways in which they can be applied that I hadn't considered previously. Yeah. And, and I want to add to that, that to be kind to yourself. And what I mean by that is sometimes we'll take self-assessments or we'll look at these resources and we'll think about the version that we, of the person that we thought we should be by now at this point in our lives. I should be doing X, Y, and Z. Or when I was 12 years old and told my parents I was thinking about going to college and going to medical school, uh, they gave me a bunch of, you know, medical type things for Christmas that year. And like, so everyone's expecting me to do X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, I say be kind to yourself and be honest with yourself um, when you're doing these things because that'll give you um, an allowance to um, uh, navigate your search, your job search specifically, in a healthy, workable way, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to uh, game the system on these uh, self-assessments or try to force a narrative into your search that doesn't fit for you anymore. Because just as much as the job landscape is going to shift and change over time, and each generation of students that are graduating from universities and colleges, they are applying for jobs that didn't exist when they were a first year in college. So that job landscape is shifting, but so are you as an individual. As you are navigating through new spaces and thinking about the ways in which you want to engage in the world and what matters to you, your values, your interests, your skills, these are not stagnant things. These are things that are going to shift and develop over time. So really, and I can't say this enough, be kind and honest with yourself when engaging with these things, it'll give you a much stronger base for that philosophical portion of the job search process. And it also entails patience, right? Because you need to be yes. able to mm-hmm. realize that, I mean, we're definitely in, in our time today, we're talking about, I think, um, very early onset, big decision type aspects of this process. It's not somebody just making like a lateral move. It's, it's either someone starting from, from scratch or is, is having a really large juxtaposition into where they see themselves professionally. That requires time, and we are not always afforded that time, but it requires at least the patience and the awareness of how to leverage our time to know if we need to really increase the rate by which we're making, you know, exploring these things, to have more conversations, um, to think more with more certainty 
about what it is we want to do or how we see ourselves in terms of the versatility of our career to date and the and more specifically um, the skills we possess because I think the application of skills is a much more um, one size can be much a much more of a one size fits all process whereas if I just say so where do other career counselors go yeah, I might, I might mm-hmm. not get a, a ton of answers that help satisfy me, but if I say, where do people with good communication skills and project management skills go? Well, the world might become my oyster, right. and I just need to be willing to um, reframe the question in a way that will help allow for more of that information. Sometimes that's us drinking from the fire hose too, right? So we, that's where the patience comes in. We have to be able to not be, you know, if, if we get more than we bargained for, well, there are worse things, but we also need to just take our time. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, so the other thing I think we, we want to make mention of here because we've really focused on the philosophical process is the practical, right? And I think in our last conversation mm-hmm. on this topic, we really kind of hammered down on the practical approach. And I think for most people who are a bit further along in the process, we're doing a mild recalibration over in the, in the philosophical aspect. Who am I? What am I going to do? How do I talk about these things? And then the practical is really hammering down who are the employers? What are the positions? Where are my applications? Am I doing the networking in a in a very moving the ball forward kind of context? Um, I don't. I, I mean, I think in the, our prior conversations, we've had um, you know we've made good strides in terms of clarifying these processes. But I do think as we, if we are in a position where we're looking to make any kind of transition, um, thinking about how we modify even the practical approach can be important, right? Because we need to know who the new, you know, we'll keep... This force analogy? Just go, I keep going with like weird metaphors that I, I'm not even like hammering on one metaphor here. Uh, but the idea is like, who are the new players in the game? Right. Right? If yeah. I'm going to go look at these, uh, this new industry, I can't just look at a single company. Okay. Um, right. Or maybe I'm looking at a particular job function. I can think about how that job function unto itself uh you know, can expand across multiple industries or multiple organizations, or maybe I have a geographic limitation. Right. So I, I, in your collective experience, are there certain pratfalls that you find that people um, tend to stumble into unknowingly, and how can we maybe help them avoid those? I think for some folks who have um, been working for, you know, a, a decade or two, um, they may fall into uh, the assumpt- assumption trap, meaning what they once thought about an organization or a type of organization, they have that same assumption about, you know, 10 or 20 years later. So, you know, make sure you're, you're kind of checking yourself um, and saying, well, once I, you know, at one point, you know, a certain, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking car manufacturers, you know, they weren't building um, cars in a certain way to a certain type of quality. But maybe that's no longer the case, right? Maybe there is a different... Um, uh, uh, a different opinion or a different um, set of opportunities that weren't there at the time that you were applying for jobs, the last time you were applying for jobs. Right. So um, check your assumptions at the door a little bit and and um, and, oh, and avail yourself to new information that might, you know, mm-hmm. just might not have been true at the time that the, the last time that you were looking um, for jobs. There's yeah. also, you know, that, that shifting landscape, right? What what have the priorities of that state or that country been for the last decade? You know, is there more funding that's being pushed into certain types of organizations over others? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think another pitfall to jump off on that kind of thinking about different companies is that um, something that I see sometimes is that 
someone in the job search process um, has a very static list of companies. Mm -hmm. It's not growing. It's not changing. It's it has researching companies and learning about them. Kind of what you're saying, Stephanie. It has to constantly um, be re recorded or you know change your list so that you're not just checking the same 20 companies' websites for job openings. Right. You have to keep adding. You can take companies on and off the list depending on if you're learning something new or, um, you know, connected to somebody else. So that's a, um, a static employer list will not be helpful yeah. Yeah. Um, in the more practical side of your job search. Yeah, it's a, it's a dual evolution, right? It's an evolution of the market or the industry itself, but it's mm -hmm. also an evolution of who you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, Stephanie, you talked about people who've been in a career for a long time. I, I even think someone who's in a four-year educational program is going to come out obviously wildly different than they were when they came in. Yeah. So they themselves may have different concepts of what they want to do or how they're going to do it or, well, I wasn't going to work for a big company before, but now I see how there's stability in that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And right. that's not even compromising any kind of values aspect at that point. It's just a new awareness of something that we weren't, right. you know, too keyed into previously. Right. I think for um, most uh, appointments that I have with students, regardless of where they are um, in their process as an undergraduate or even a graduate student or perhaps even a postdoc, um, <clears throat> I think is sometimes a question of creativity. Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of creativity that's necessary when we're trying to figure out, okay, maybe I do know a little bit of who I am and what I care about, but I don't, like, I don't know what exists in the world, really. I mean, I, I, I have ideas of what I like, and I like this class that I took, but I can't quite translate this class into a job in the world. And so I think oftentimes it's the fear of the kind of, maybe fear is not even the right word, just sort of feeling like I have a total blank slate and I don't know where to begin. So sometimes students will sit down and say just like, well, given my background, what do you think I'd be good at? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a tricky space for us to start in, but I understand the desire for that. Absolutely. The, like, lack of knowing. Um, for me, I think you know, certainly working through some of these values, interests, and skills is good, but I think even that can sometimes lead people who will say, yeah, Meredith, I looked at these questions and I don't even know how to answer these questions. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. they are mm -hmm. still even quite broad. Um, I think that's when I, I do turn to, you know, at most institutions, um, if you're in school right now, have some sort of career management system where there are job and internship hostings. If not, you can use a wide variety of job boards that are available to, any, you know, anyone. Um, I do think actually starting to look at things by industry, look at, choose one keyword and start looking things up. You might actually need to do a lot of like poking around yeah. and then saying, oh, I didn't even know that existed. Oh, I didn't sort of to Stephanie's point of um, the industries are changing. There are jobs that you just might not even know about. And it's true. How do you get creative in that way? Right. Well, it's an existential fear. I mean, you said, is it, is it fear? It, it, it is a absolutely a palpable fear. And it's one that's rooted in our own existential identity. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, we can wear many different hats in terms of what those, how we identify with ourselves and we can wear many different, you know, we can have different identities. Um, I think for our collective vantage point, we see people uh, who come to talk to us through at least initially an academic identity. So people be like, well, what do sociology majors do? Or what right. do people with PhDs in, uh, you know, astrophysics mm -hmm. do? And again, I think that's a very valid question in the way that it's framed because they're still holding on to that 
um, existential identity that they possess as an academic or via their academic experience that they've you know worked at to mm-hmm. date. Where we're trying to, where I think they can benefit rather than like quizzing any of us as much as we want to be helpful to <laughs> <Right>. them. <laughs> that's a lot of responsibility that, and as I'm, you know, I think I've said before on this as omnipotent as I wish I could be, I just, <laughs> just going to fail. I think there's a way by which they can also learn from others and realize that they're not the first people who have asked these questions. And Correct. so, yes. you know, if any, anyone, you know, listening to this, you can either look at your if, if you went to uh, college or university, you can look at your alma mater's alumni network. You can look at it. So instead of just looking at sociology majors who went to Industry X, you could look at all social scientists who go into Industry X or all mm-hmm. folks with a bachelor's degree who, didn't, uh, who only have a bachelor's degree who went to Industry X or people with PhDs can look at those in the sciences or that look by industry. My point being, you're not in the woods alone. And you don't need to think of a brand new idea necessarily. If you want to do that or you do end up doing that, then that's fantastic. But the reality is at the very basis of this process, you can look around and look, you get to cheat a little bit, right? You get to look off the paper of the person sitting next to you at the quiz and say, well, what are their answers? Do I like any of those responses? Because you absolutely can in this case and emulate those pathways if you find them interesting. And so as we talk in the kind of vague terms about exploration and looking things up, I think it's always rooted in looking, look at what the others are doing and see if any of that has any initial resonance because then you've saved yourself some time then you also know who to go talk to, and you have some clearer ideas on where to explore or where to investigate next. Yeah, Build that knowledge base. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think with all of that, uh, we've given given folks a little bit more to chew on in this delightfully vague topic. Um, (laughs) And next time we'll come by and and chip away a little bit more at it. Um, But um, in summary, uh, we've mentioned a couple of resources today. Uh, we talked about the values, interest, skills inventory available through the ocs.yale.edu website, which we'd highly recommend anyone go take a look at. Um, I'd also make recommendations, again, those of you with uh, .edu email addresses, you could use imaginephd.com or myidp.sciencecareers.org, which are free for those with the .edu email address. They have a small fee otherwise, and if that's something that you are interested in or capable of, of investing in, then so be it. Uh, but really interesting, regardless of, of your graduate education level or not. Um, there's also numerous other resources available through the ocs.yale.edu website, which we highly recommend you check out. And uh, check out the other episodes of this podcast if you have the time and interest. And hopefully we'll see you next time here on Take This Job and Love It. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.